Welcome to Living Water Radio. This coming Sunday is Christ the King Sunday throughout the world. The news in many churches is not going to be good. Today, we're going to find out what the good news is and where to find it. My name is Pastor David Burkadal. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is an ordained minister actively focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California, and in San Dimas, California, for over 40 years. Today, I'm filling in temporarily for pastors in the Los Angeles area, maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm attempting to learn Mandarin Chinese. We are retired clergy and have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience between the two of us. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. Some things, even when we know that they are coming, when they do happen, come as a surprise. For example, Christ the King Sunday comes and we think, what? Next Sunday is Advent? There are only three more Sundays before Christmas Eve? Or when the Rolling Stones announce another tour and it's sponsored by AARP. Or the second coming of Jesus Christ. This coming Sunday, churches all over the world will celebrate the end of the church year. They will consider the end of history on Christ the King Sunday. They will consider the final judgment, the coming of a new heaven and a new earth. And in many churches, they will hear bad news. And there will be lots of it. Some people just dislike the term kingdom. It sounds too male, too authoritarian, too distant. To some, it sounds too white, too colonial, too established, too absolute, too Western, too judgmental, which is ironic given that the gospel reading for Sunday is about the last judgment. Some would replace kingdom with kingdom as a more communal way to describe the kingdom. To do that, they must replace king with kin. We must replace God's kingdom with our own. Some others would replace kingdom with reign. They remove the maleness and soften the power dynamic, but still have the authority and the enforcement to deal with. Some would replace kingdom with realm, as if to say that God had one and should stay in God's lane. But I get it. We in the United States had a revolution to get rid of kings so that people could rule. It was a radical idea then in human history, and it is a radical idea right now one that we are still fighting for. We don't want to be dominated. Domination is a bad word in our culture, outside of the sports world. But the root word in domination is the Latin word dominus, that is, lord or master, as is the role of a king. It is the same root in the word dominion as when God creates and commissions human beings in Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. To have dominion means to have authority over, as a manager does in our culture. It's a role given by God in which human beings are empowered to manage and care for creation. Like a good king, acting under the will of God would care for a kingdom. We describe Jesus as our Lord and Master, that is, as our King, and we long for his return. And the reading from the Gospel of Matthew that will be read in the vast majority of churches in the world this coming Sunday, on Christ the King Sunday, tells us what his return will look like. It starts with Matthew 25, verses 31 to 33. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. There will be a judgment, and there will be a division, and it will be undertaken by Christ the King, the good King the King of kings, the Lord of all. He is not the figurehead of a system that must be decolonized and dismantled. He is the head of the church, the body of Christ. He is the one that people long for when they know that they are powerless, when they need a good ruler to be in charge, when they know they need someone who is both Savior and Lord, Christ the King, when they know that they need Jesus. And it has always been so. The first recorded Christian prayer comes in the second to the last verse of the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation 22.20. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And when he comes, how will this judgment and this division take place? We see the mechanics of it continuing in Matthew 25 in verses 34 to 45. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care for you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, 
just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That part is very bad news, at least on the surface. It seems to say that whether we go to heaven or hell depends entirely on how we treat the hungry, the thirsty, people passing through, the unclothed, the sick, and those in prison. It's said that rock and roll has reinforced the biblical message that there's a highway to hell, but only a stairway to heaven. But can it be that hard to go to heaven if all we have to do is help the needy? Yes and no. If that is all we have to do, if we take a literal view of this text, then why the cross and empty tomb? Why salvation by God's grace through faith? If good works is all we have, haven't we just substituted one form of the letter of the law for another? If that is all we have, then that is very bad news. How can we ever know if we have done enough? Is the Christian life lived planning how to manage our resources so that we can go to heaven? How can we know where the line is between the needy and the not needy so that we do not run out of resources? Anthropologist Margaret Mead once said that the world's greatest challenge is that we don't define the word family broadly enough. What does it mean to care for the least of these who are members of my family? This text was written when almost everyone was poor. Does it have a different meaning in our more affluent culture? Should it make us feel inadequate or guilty as Thanksgiving approaches? Those are the questions of those living under the law, not the gospel. I don't think that doing is what it's about at all. I think that this text is about being the new creation in Jesus Christ. The doing is what then follows. I think that Jesus is describing a life of faith, of a transformed life, of a life lived in a living relationship with the one true living God. We care for all whom God sends us in the name of Jesus. I think that Jesus is describing a life in which faith produces works, not the other way around. It's what a life of faith looks like. That is, that Christians don't need a Bible reading to tell us to care for others. It is as natural for us as it is for a fruit tree to bear fruit. I think it's like the story about the man who died and went to heaven. Just before he entered the pearly gates, however, he turned to St. Peter and said, I'm really looking forward to what I know is on the other side of these gates, but I also know that once I get inside, I'll be changed. I don't know if it will happen, but I think that I might always wonder what life in the other place was like. So, I'd like to ask if it would be possible to visit the other place, just briefly, to see for myself. Granted, said St. Peter, and the man found himself at the gates of hell. He walked through and was greeted by a horrible sight. Inside, he saw rows and rows of tables stretching to the horizon. Each table was piled high with delicious food and drink, but the people sitting at the tables were starving. The reason they were starving was that three-foot-long forks and spoons had been fixed to their arms, and while they could put food in the utensils, the ends were too long to reach their mouths, so they were starving. I've seen enough, he said, and he was transported back to the gates of heaven. When he walked through, however, 
He saw people sitting at the same kinds of tables, stretching to the horizon, piled high with the same food and drink, and the people also had three-foot-long forks and spoons fixed to their arms. But here people were laughing and healthy and singing praises to God. The difference was that here people were using their utensils to feed each other. That idea had never occurred to the people in hell, and that, in part, was why they were there. We serve others because that is our new nature as people who have been remade by God. That's the good news. Words of Jesus near the beginning of his public ministry in all four Gospels have a similar theme. Matthew 4.17 From that time Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mark 1.14-15 Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Luke 4.43. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Luke 3.3. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Jesus says more about the kingdom of God than about any other subject. He came to establish the already but not yet fully established kingdom. Citizenship in it is preceded by our being born from above. We are brothers and sisters in Christ because of Jesus. As a colleague said online the other day, you have to have a kingdom before you can have a kingdom. We have a king in Jesus, and in him we have kin. Many people today see C.K. and think Calvin Klein. Some think of the stage name of comedian Louis C.K., the sound of his family name, Sizik Lee. We think of Christ the We think of Christ the King, though it's hard to picture Christ and King in the same sentence unless you know Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's hard to picture a loving God who is both merciful and just, committing people to heaven and hell unless you trust in him. Father Nicky Gumbel, the evangelical Anglican priest and founder of the Alpha Program, said that he believes that after the last judgment, the hosts of people gathered will consider what God has done, and they will say, that's fair. Jesus Christ is our King, not to give us more laws, but to fulfill them in his death and resurrection. We simply live in response to what he has already done for us. It's why we celebrate this coming Sunday on Christ the King Sunday. Current events in Israel have sent many people to their Bibles to search for the signs of the end. They need look no farther than the Gospel reading for Christ the King Sunday. The good news of life and salvation, the Gospel, is found in God, not in ourselves. Instead of striving for things, Jesus calls us to strive for the kingdom first and let God handle the rest. And then says in Luke 12, 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Today, let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. 
Send your prayer requests to either of the same addresses, and we'll include them next time. Send your comments, questions, and concerns there as well, and we'll respond to every one. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated, to open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune into the worship services they have available and support your church with your time, your treasure, and your talent. Pray for and support your pastor and church leaders as they seek to do God's will for your congregation. If you are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Contact a friend or a relative. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. There are people around you who will walk with you through this dark time into the light. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home. Practice social distancing. Wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Avoid crowds if you can. And be outside if you have to be in a crowd. But most importantly, get your vaccines and boosters. It's the one thing you can do to literally save lives and get us back on track. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with. Everyone you meet today struggles in some way. Be a helper and encourager. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together as we move into the new normal. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.